Hello, it's Thursday, the 15th of December, and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. The US Federal Reserve has hiked its key rate by another 50 basis points. The gap with the Bank of Korea's benchmark rate now sits at 1.25%, the highest in 22 years. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. In a special Korean Politics Digest today, we discussed President Yoon Sang-yeol's Indo-Pacific strategy unveiled last month and the relationship of the ASEAN region with South Korea and the US. And then coming up for Explore Korea, we discover more about the city of Cheongju and the Sangdang Santong Fortress. We'll have all that and more on today's Korea 24. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by a half percentage point, bringing the target range to four and a quarter to four and a half percent. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by four and a quarter percentage points this year. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to, to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. That was Jerome Powell, chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve. He was speaking at a briefing after the Federal Open Market Committee meeting on Wednesday, announcing the so-called big-step key interest hike of 50 basis points. Our KBS World Radio news editor, Gui Jin, joins us in the studio now to walk us through the Fed's decision, as well as the dilemma facing Korea's policymakers as well as the rest of the day's headlines. Hijin, hello. Hello, jang So the Fed's announcement came overnight for Korea, and it widens the gap with South Korea's benchmark to a 22-year high of 1.25 percentage points. This is prompting policymakers to consider a steeper hike next year to keep pace with the US. But uh, first, can you break down the Fed's announcement for us. Well, the US Federal Reserve announced its latest big step, adding uh, half a percentage point to its benchmark on Wednesday. The lending rate now stands at a 15-year high of 425 to 4.5%. Amid weakening inflation, the Fed opted to tame its hike uh, following four consecutive giant steps of 75 basis points. Nevertheless, Chair, uh, Chairman Powell suggested that the FOMC will maintain its upward momentum and a vice grip on fiscal policy for some time to offset inflationary pressure. Let's listen to what he had to say. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by four and a quarter percentage points this year. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to, to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. The committee decided to raise interest rates by 50 basis points today, a step down from the 75 basis point pace seen over the previous four meetings. Of course, 50 basis points is still a historically large increase, and we still have some ways to go. Further rate hikes are also in the offing, as policymakers projected the key rate to reach a median estimate of 5.1% by the end of 2023. Following the Fed's move, the Bank of Korea is more likely to take a baby step of 25 basis point upward adjustment next month. But the widened gap between the two sides has sparked concerns that this will lead to an outflow 
outflow of foreign currency and a crippled Korean won. Although uh, BOK Governor Lee Chang-yong last month mentioned a possible peak rate of 3.5% next year, up from the current 3.25%, the central bank may set its sights higher to keep pace with the Fed. Uh, what else has been the reaction from the Bank of Korea? Well, the BOK senior deputy governor, Lee Seung-hoon, said during an economic review meeting he chaired on Thursday that the central bank will keep a close eye on changes in the national uh, nation's financial and foreign exchange markets and respond with timely measures to stabilise markets if needed. Lee said they cannot rule out the possibility of exacerbating fluctuations in the financial markets amid woes over a global economic recession and possible policy changes that major economies may take to fight inflation. Yes, the BOK's next rate hike is scheduled to be made in January, so we'll see how the situation develops until then. Mm Let's turn to an update on the weather now, because Seoul and nearby cities early on Thursday saw significant snowfall and it's expected to expand to other regions. Can you give us the latest update? Well, according to weather authorities, the snow will spread from the central region to North Cholla and North Gyeongsang provinces by nightfall. The weather agency issued snowstorm advisories for the central region with some 10 centimetres expected for the greater Seoul area. The agency advised people to use public transport where possible or to drive with caution as roads will turn icy and slippery during evening rush hour. Temperatures are expected to fall further on Friday after the snow. Authorities forecast morning lows of minus 10 degrees Celsius and minus 2 degrees in the afternoon in Seoul. Let's move on to the partisan rivalry and the clash over the 2023 budget bill at the National Assembly. The main opposition Democratic Party chairman Lee Jae-myung said on Thursday that his party will accept a compromise on next year's budget proposed by the Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo as the Thursday deadline looms. However, we have breaking news now that the ruling PPP has rejected the compromise can you give us the latest updates? Well, main opposition DP chairman Lee Jae-myung said on Thursday that his party will accept a compromise on next year's budget in consideration of public livelihood, although the proposal does not comply with the DP's stance, adding that now is the time for society to come together to overcome an economic crisis. Earlier on Thursday, National Assembly Speaker uh, Kim proposed a compromise on a sticking point, lowering the current maximum corporate tax rate for large companies by one percentage point to 24%. The ruling PPP had been pushing to slash taxes to 22%. The DP slammed the move as a tax cut for the wealthy. Kim also offered a compromise on budgets for a police bureau within the Ministry of Interior and a personnel information management team under the Justice Ministry. However, PPP floor leader Chu Ho-young rejected the compromise, saying that a cut of one percentage point is hardly worth the effort. And without an 11th hour agreement, the bill will likely miss the midnight deadline. Yes, we'll continue to watch the situation overnight and have the latest updates on our news briefing tomorrow. Meanwhile, President Yoon Sung-yeol defended his plans to cut housing taxes for multiple homeowners, saying it will ultimately help ease housing rent burden. 
This came during his first ever public question and answer session to check progress on key policy tasks on Thursday. The meeting with the public, which aired live on national TV, was scheduled to run for 100 minutes, but ran nearly an hour longer than scheduled. So can you brief us on this meeting? Well, the president said his plan to reduce taxes on multiple homeowners will mitigate taxpayers passing on the burden to their renters, adding that it is a basic market principle. The ruling camp seeks to lower the maximum tax on multiple homeowners to 5% from the current 6%. Yun argued that the former Moon Jae-in administration's housing policies caused real estate prices to soar and froze the market. President Yoon Suk-yeol also vowed to fulfil the administration's key policy tasks, emphasising that uh, they are his promises to the public. He expressed gratitude to the people who have worked hard together amid difficult economic conditions in the past year. In other news, Kim Manbe, a key suspect in the Daejangdong land development scandal, attempted suicide, but his injuries were not life-threatening. So what more do we know? Well, fire authorities received an emergency 119 call from Kim's lawyer at around 9.50pm Wednesday, saying that Kim had tried to kill himself inside a car in Suwon. According to the police, Kim stabbed himself in the neck and chest at around 2am Wednesday and stayed in the car for some time before calling his lawyer to inform him of his suicide attempt. The lawyer made the emergency call after arriving at the car on Wednesday night. Uh, Kim was then rushed to a nearby hospital for treatment. Uh, Kim, the owner of the tr- uh, controversial asset management company, Hwa Chan Deyu, is standing trial in the high-profile corruption case, which has also implicated close aides of Lee Jae-myung, the leader of the main opposition DP. And finally, South Korea's new policy to strengthen economic cooperation with countries in the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, will likely help speed up global recovery efforts next year. That's according to experts. Can you tell us more? Well, speakers at a special webinar uh, hosted by the South Korean mission to ASEAN on Tuesday presented their assessment on the policy known as the Korea ASEAN Solidarity Initiative. During that conference, Lily Yan-ing, leader lead advisor at the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia, forecast that the economic climate will likely deteriorate uh, with the global economy expected to grow by only 2 to 3% next year, while inflation shoots up to 7.8%. However, she added that actively taking advantage of the South Korea ASEAN Free Trade Agreement, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership and the Korea-Indonesia Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement will help nations surmount global economic difficulties. Other experts shared similar sentiments that both sides have have a lot to gain from the reinforced economic cooperation, especially through South Korea's new ASEAN policy. Yes, we'll talk more about the Korea-ASEAN relationship next for our in-depth. But first, we wrap up our news briefing here. Thank you for those updates, Heejin. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 38.28 points, or 1.60% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,360.97. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 6.32 points, or 0.87%, to close the day at 722.68. 
On the foreign exchange, the local currency, the South Korean won, weakened 6.81 against the US dollar, ending the day at 1,303.11. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment, rounding up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Diane Yu to bring us those stories today. She joins us in the studio now. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Django. It's good to see you. Okay, we head straight into our stories today. What do you have for us first? News has come out about a car accident that happened in Gangneung, Gangwon province last week that left a woman in her 60s who was driving injured and her teenage grandson dead. According to the driver, the car suddenly accelerated itself and crashed into a vehicle in front of it. The car could not slow down after the first collision and continued for another 600 meters. Yes, this is a terrible and awful tragedy. As you said, right. the car not only crashed into the car in front, but it kept accelerating. Mm-hmm for a considerably long distance of 600 metres before it reached the end of the road and crashed over a barrier Mm -hmm. and fell into uh, a deep uh, concrete ravine, which is why the situation became so grave. Mm -hmm. Do we know why the the car suddenly accelerated and couldn't stop? We don't know for sure. The family suspects that it was a sudden accident because the brake system did not seem to work properly at the time. If you look at the car's dash cam footage, the driver can be heard saying, oh no, why is this not working? We're in trouble. And according to an automobile expert, it does in fact show signs of a sudden acceleration phenomenon, including the distance traveled, the roaring sound of the engine, and an abnormal amount of gas discharged from the exhaust. Right. So initially, it looks like there was perhaps some mechanical failure of some kind. But Mm -hmm. I'm sure uh, that will be little comfort for the driver, the grandmother of the uh, teenager who died. And of course, Mm -hmm. the whole family as well. Right. Uh, Another problem for them is that the grandmother was charged with violating the Special Traffic Accident Act. The bereaved family said they cannot make her a criminal on top of losing their son. The father of the deceased said, because there is a video of her speeding with the brake lights clearly on, I hope that the cause of the accident can be accurately and thoroughly investigated to bring justice to my mother and my son. The police launched a full-fledged investigation by requesting the National Forensic Service to conduct a detailed examination of the vehicle, including the event data recorder. And the automaker said it would cooperate with the investigation. Yes, the footage of the incident does make it seem like there was a mechanical failure and the car was Mm -hmm. just out of control and that it had little to do with the driver. Hopefully the authorities quickly get to the bottom of what happened, at least. But of course, uh, as we said, it will be little comfort for the family. Right. Okay, we'll leave that story there and move on to our second trending story. I believe it is BTS related, correct? Right. So exciting news for BTS fans, of course. If you are a member of ARMY and were let down by the recent news of Jin starting his military service with the rest about to follow, here's some welcoming news for you. According to Korea Post, a set of 23 special edition stands will be created to commemorate the year 2023, and the set will include the K-pop superstars. We don't know exactly what the designs of the stamps will look like, as they are yet to be finalized. Korea Post said it will work with the group's agency HYBE to create the design. What we do know is that the theme is Record of the Youth. Okay, so can you tell us about these uh, stamps and what is usually featured on them? 
So the commemorative stamps are issued to celebrate and remember historically important figures, incidents, or significant events, and about 20 types are issued each year. The plan to issue the stamps is done through careful consideration, and they are selected by the Stamp Issuance Deliberation Committee, which is composed of university professors and other experts. Korea Post President Son Seung-yeon said post stamps are a great means to introduce Korea's culture and added that he will do his best to promote it. Yes, I understand that BTS are not the only figures that will be featured next year, right? Right. Bororo, a representative character in Korea since it was first introduced in 2003, was also chosen. The animated penguin stamp holds the meaning of the world's gratitude and love for the character. Mm. And beautiful designs showing the Korean alphabet hangul, the rare and beautiful vegetable flower or chaesokgol in Korean, and honeybees that play an important role in the ecosystem will also be featured. Okay, so look out for those uh, special stamps next year. Now, for our third story, we reported yesterday about Argentina making it to the final of the 2022 World Cup Mm -hmm. in Qatar. And now we know who will be joining them. That's right. Morocco's Cinderella story, which was one of the most surprising events at the 2022 World Cup, has come to an end. On Wednesday local time, the defending champions France beat Morocco 2-0 at Al-Bayed Stadium, putting the European country's quest of becoming the first team to consecutively win the World Cup in six years in their sights. Morocco can go home with their heads held high as they were the first African side to reach the semifinal of soccer's biggest tournament. Indeed. Can you uh, tell us about the game itself and what happened? So it was like a battle between a sword and a shield. France (laughs) scored the first goal of the match in the fifth minute. It was Theo Hernandez who opened the scoring with a left-footed volley from a ball that bounced to him after a scramble in the box. The Atlas Lions tried to break the opponent's defense countless times, but they were not able to find an equalizer. Morocco's Unahi's mid-range shots were blocked by the French goalkeeper Hugo Yores, and at the end of the first half, the Moroccan defender Jawad El Yamik delivered a perfect overhead kick, but it hit the post. Morocco pushed and pushed, but to no avail. And then France's Randall Colo Mouani got his first international goal in the 79th minute. Mouani's goal was the third quickest for a substitute in World Cup history as he scored just 44 seconds after coming off the bench. Yes, it's a shame that Morocco's run has come to an end, but... uh... What they did was absolutely amazing. And right. it was uh, really reminiscent of South Korea's incredible run in the 2002 World Cup as mm-hmm. well. OK, so now that the semifinals are officially done, the highlight of the tournament, only the final match awaits. That's right. Uh, only Lionel Messi and Argentina stand in the way as France seeks to win back-and-back World Cup titles. Les Bleus will compete against La Al. Al- I'll be Celeste at Lucille Stadium, and the game will kick off on Sunday, December 18th at 6 p.m. local time in Qatar. After the game against Morocco, France's captain Hugo Yotis said, it's just an amazing feeling to win, and added that now the last step, the most difficult, awaits the team. Yeah, so that's 6 p.m. Sunday local time, which is uh, midnight Sunday night, going to Monday morning here in Mm -hmm. Korea. So we'll see who are crowned champions then. Right. Okay, that's where we'll leave it for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you again next time. See you next time.
In November, South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol unveiled his Indo-Pacific strategy during his meeting with the leaders of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. He referred to the ASEAN nations as the most important collaborative partners in this strategy. He also said peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific region is directly linked to South Korea's survival and prosperity. During Yun's summit with U.S. President Joe Biden in Cambodia in November, Biden also expressed hope that the two countries will strengthen cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region. In a special Korean Politics Digest today, we'll take a closer look at the Yun administration's Indo-Pacific strategy and how the two allies can cooperate in the region. First, we have our regular Digest guest, affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello. Thank you for having me here. Yes, and today we have a special guest. We have Ambassador Scott Martial, Senior Advisor of Bao Group Asia and the former U.S. Ambassador to ASEAN. Ambassador Martial, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yes, well, Ambassador, we very much appreciate you making the time to come to KBS today. I understand uh, that you delivered a keynote speech at the 10th ASEAN Connectivity Forum held in Seoul on December 8th. Can you tell us a little bit about that forum and uh, what, your, what you said in your speech? Sure. Well, the ASEAN Korean Center, as you know, has been doing these seminars or forums uh, annually for 10 years now, really to take advantage and look for opportunities for Korea to cooperate with the countries of Southeast Asia as they work on connectivity, meaning trying to basically bind their economies and their people closer together with infrastructure and regulatory projects. In my speech, I really highlighted you know, how important Southeast Asia is, the ASEAN region, mm-hmm. 650 million people, collectively the world's fifth largest economy, huge needs and demand that they can't meet. And so it's tremendous opportunities for partners like Korea, as well as the United States, to work with them, help them achieve the prosperity and the integration they want. Right. So you're very much talking about uh, the opportunities between Korea and ASEAN region that exist. Uh, it is something that President Yoon sung yeol has addressed recently. As I mentioned, he unveiled his Indo-Pacific strategy during his meeting with the ASEAN leaders last month. Professor Kim, can you outline for our listeners the gist of Yoon's Indo-Pacific strategy and perhaps how what he has presented might be different from his predecessors? Well, when you say predecessor, I'm sure you have in mind uh, President Moon's, the previous president, President Moon's uh, new, what was it called at the time? New Southern Policy? New Southern Policy. Right, Sinnambang yes. Jongchek at the time. <clears throat> the, that's probably what we have in mind, mind largely when we talk about the differences. Uh, a lot of experts understand the President Moon's, previous president's uh, new Southern Policy was more on the economic side. And current President Yoon's uh, Indo-Pacific strategy has a lot more of uh, uh, security and uh, overall global value uh, dimensions to this altogether. And this is, an, in in fact, the you know current President Moon's Indo-Pacific strategy is uh, very comprehensive in terms of its scope hmm. and uh, issue areas altogether. And <clears throat> We can explain his strategy this way. Uh, basically, the strategy is anchored upon the recognition that the overall peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific area, uh, that uh, peace and prosperity of the entire region has cl- close bearing on Korea's survival 
and stability. So the, in this idea, we are linking closely our future with the future of Indo-Pacific. So that's mm. a very interesting and uh, you know noticeable uh, point of departure, if you will. And within that Indo-Pacific strategy, ASEAN comes in as a most important, perhaps one of the most important uh, partners. And some people, some experts say ASEAN is important leverage or means through which Korea can actually achieve its vision in Indo-Pacific strategy. Therefore, you know, all these things that we do with ASEAN partners will uh, fill in the, the center, central pieces, central part of the outcome of the Indo-Pacific strategy altogether. I mentioned values. Uh, this Indo-Pacific strategy of Yoon talks about the common values, as we heard all the way from the time of his inauguration, for mm. instance. And that's an important part of it. The idea of open and uh, free and open uh, economic structure in the, in the region, that's also kind of resonating with the Biden's vision of the uh, White House's Indo-Pacific strategy, of course. Right. And... Uh, uh, the overall ideas about the rebuilding and then redesigning the, the supply network, for one, uh, making ASEAN economies, ASEAN economies as an important partner for Korea. Uh, we know ASEAN economies have been always important part partner for Korea, just like Vietnam's uh, rank or position as number three partner for Korea's exports after China and the United States, but we want to make it bigger, and then we want to go further beyond Vietnam. Vietnam has done tremendously well as a new partner for Korea, but mm. we want to have other uh, partners coming uh, from the region. So there are a lot of different things to talk about in the Indo-Pacific region, but my focus, once again, is it's adding on a lot of security uh, and the global strategy component on top of uh, President Moon Jae-in's more economic and ec business-based vision. Right. Looking beyond uh, just the economy. Right. Uh, Ambassador, Professor Kim mentioned uh, Biden's uh, Indo-Pacific strategy, which I believe was uh, released uh, in February this year as well. Uh, what can you tell us about the key points from Biden administration strategy for the region? And perhaps how does it compare with South Korea as well? Well, I think it, it complements South Korea's uh, and fits with South Korea's quite well uh, in many different ways. I think the underlying assumption of the Biden administration's strategy, like previous U.S. strategies, is to emphasize the importance of the region for the United States and the fact that the United States is a Pacific power. And so we're, we're uh, an integral part of the region. In terms of the key components, there is a lot of talk, as Professor Kim mentioned, of free and open, a free and open Indo-Pacific. That means a number of different things to me mm. um, on f what's free. Uh, some of it is values, promoting human rights, democracy, as, as we've always done. But it goes beyond that, it includes freedom of navigation. You talk about things like South China Sea and what have you, uh, emphasizing that freedom. But one that maybe doesn't get enough attention is um, freedom in the sense of ensuring that all the countries in the region uh, do not feel pressured or coerced into accommodating what others might want. Mm. In other words, that they maintain freedom of maneuver, freedom of decision-making, uh, and, and full independence uh, in their foreign as well as their domestic policies. I think that's a really important part of it. Uh, second would be a strong emphasis in the Biden's Indo-Pacific strategy, the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific strategy, on working with a lot of different partners. 
certainly our traditional allies like Korea, but also very big emphasis on ASEAN as well as other partners, recognizing that no one country can address the region's challenges and that we really need to, to work together. And a third important component of it is they talk about addressing uh, transnational threats. And, and first and foremost there is health and pandemics, future pandemics, as well as COVID, uh, climate change, which we all know is a huge threat to everyone. And so it's, it's really meant to be, I think, very inclusive and collaborative uh, overall. Mm. Uh, Professor Kim, you mentioned how the importance of security in this region. Uh, from the perspective of South Korea, when we look at the ASEAN region, what would you say is the geopolitical significance of ASEAN for South Korea? Why is this region important, particularly with the context of, uh, within the context of Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy? Well, because of their strategic location altogether, right? And uh, they're sitting in the very critical position uh, where Korea is linked to some of the world's most important markets. We're not just talking about China. We're not just talking about the United States, but we're talking about European markets, market in Europe and elsewhere around the world, Middle East, Africa, and all that. Uh, ASEAN sits right there where Korean supply chains go through. So mm. uh, security cooperation is critical in that in that regard. And the fact that there is uh, this issue, many different issues, that includes South China Sea, for instance, mm. you know, increasing uh, instability, disagreement, and even, um, I would just say, from my own individual uh, you know, expert perspective, if you will, the, the, the Taiwan Straits, for instance, right? The uh, these are critical areas of possible political instability or strategic instability and, and definitely affects Korea's economic interests big time. So in that sense, the security dimension of this area is very important. And, and on top of that, not only that, but also Korea's security cooperation with the, the traditional allies like Japan, United States, and others, uh, these are the countries that we have to, we have to, we must enhance our security cooperation in order to secure Korea's heightened and better improved position uh, in security dynamics in the in the world altogether. So, I mean, Indonesia, you know, Malaysia, um, Vietnam, all these different countries, they, they are very important potential security cooperation partners. There's no question, no one will ask a question, why do we need the cooperation with them? They are important major powers here. So we are definitely naturally reaching out. Traditionally, when I was growing up, there was always Korean diplomacy, the four major power diplomacy, right? Uh, U.S., Japan, uh, China, and, and Russia. But going beyond that, who else would you look to? Of course, there's a Europe, but mm. on top of that, of course, uh, ASEAN is a natural partner for cooperation. Uh, so far, it has been economic business a lot, but now we are saying we got to open up active cooperation, security side dimensions with these countries. Professor Kim has uh, mentioned, uh, of course, the importance of the economy, but uh, Ambassador, he also mentioned, mentioned uh, the C word, which we haven't mentioned yet, China, and also the Taiwan Strait. Uh, for the U.S., what is the geopolitical significance of ASEAN when we look on that side, Ambassador? As Professor Kim said, I mean, you can just looking at a map, you can see that Southeast Asia really sits in a critical uh, location between China and India, straddling the key trade routes for, that, that all of us need. And so maintaining stability and peace 
freedom of navigation in that region is is critically important, and that's where the South China Sea issue in particular uh, is relevant. Second, there's a tendency sometimes in Washington and Beijing and elsewhere to talk about Southeast Asia and ASEAN region as some kind of battleground between the United States and China. And certainly there's competition for influence. That's just a fact. But I think it's a mistake to look at it as one major power trying to win over Southeast mm. Asia. That's not really realistic. The countries of Southeast Asia pride their independence. They don't want to be vassal states of anybody or dominated by anybody. And so it's really important not to think, I think, of Southeast Asia as somehow this contest where China or the U.S. wins. It's more, I think, important to try to work good relationships with these countries uh, the more they have good relations with the United States, Japan, Korea, EU, and others, um, then that gives them freedom of maneuver. Still to have a good relationship with China, as they must, but without feeling like they have to always accommodate China. So it's that's critically important. Ambassador, how do you think China views uh, the region and their policies towards the region? You say uh, the U.S., perhaps we shouldn't think of it as a battleground, but uh, for China... There is uh, pretty much a, it's a known secret, I guess, that they are trying to exert the influence in the region. Sure, they are. And to a certain extent, that's to be expected, right? Uh, countries want to maximize their influence. In my experience, uh, I do see China at times seeking to minimize the influence of others, including the United States, and sometimes acting in a way to, to try to advance that. Uh, I can't say for sure what their ultimate goal is, but my sense is that they would like the, this region to be their sphere of influence, where the countries remain independent, but sort of have little choice but to accommodate China. Um, and from my perspective, uh, it's what the, the goal of other countries, other major powers should be, is not to, quote, win over this region, but to maintain the good relations and help these countries maintain their free um, uh, freedom to make their own decisions. Professor Kim, how would you uh, perhaps describe China's strategy towards the region? And how do you think it potentially clashes with perhaps the U.S. and Korea's? Well, you know, I cannot speak for China. Uh, we only know of the facts and actions that they have taken. And still, when I teach students in class, uh, you know, when we share this map, uh, the, the atlas that shows the area, South China Sea area that China claims, uh, you know, like right to the neck of uh, these countries like Philippines and, and Vietnam, uh, often there is a strong reaction from the students how... Um, I wouldn't say aggressive, uh, proactive, forthcoming. The, the China's presence are indeed so. Uh, their their strategy uh, has been has become uh, very visible in recent years, and so we know on that side uh, for sure what's going on. And then uh, in reaction to that, uh, many people, I guess, in this region, this East Asia region, feel that United States was a little bit slower coming up with its reaction on countering. But we do see uh, proactive countering actions for the last several years now. So that's a U.S. strategy. And, and Korea has been kind of, uh, for the past, let's say, five, six years, a little bit wishy-washy about the whole situation, basically altogether. And now with the coming of the um, conservative government, the Yoon government, 
being in the office now, uh, we see rising tendency on the part of Korean government to be more on the same page with the United States in terms mm. of recognizing the importance of this region and the recognizing the importance of uh, securing the, uh, the stability of the region. Uh, therefore, as a result of recognizing the importance of cooperating the security issues and, and the coordinating positions on these issues together with the United States and Japan and, and uh, the powers on, on this side, together with the important partners in the ASEAN region as well. So I, th- I guess that's obvious overall picture that we look at. With that in mind, then, what more do you think the U.S., uh, the South Korea and the U.S., uh, what do you think they can do to strengthen cooperation in this region? Uh, what would you like to see, perhaps? I cannot speak for myself. I don't think I'm a you know a, a professional who has devoted a lot of time on this issue that much. But the thing is that the, I guess overall view is divided here inside Korea, right? Uh, some people say. Uh, some people, some experts who emphasize balancing. That is, we have to keep delicate balance between the demands or expectations from Beijing on one hand and then Washington on the other. Which means, if we go too far in cooperating too proactively with the Biden's, you know, Indo-Pacific uh, vision, especially particularly on the security side, it may not actually optimize Korea's national interest. There is group that believe mm. that and have made arguments. But there's another group on the other side, uh, you know, saying that we got to definitely actively participate overall security exercises in the region and work closely with uh, with Japan and all different partners. And then we got to make sure that we have our presence, uh, we are with our chair at the table when they sit around, AUKUS, QUAD, and all these things, okay? So... Uh, the view is still divided inside Korea, but overall, I guess the Yun government's uh, position or direction overall is moving towards closer to the second group. I think that's a fair description of what's happening here. Ambassador, what do you make of some of the concerns uh, perhaps being expressed in Korea that Oppressor Kim has uh, mentioned? And what more do you think the US and South Korea perhaps together as well can do? to uh, strengthen cooperation in this region? I think there's a lot the United States and and Korea can do to cooperate in the region. And it doesn't, I think it's important, it doesn't have to be against China. Uh, As I said earlier, I think my impression of what the Southeast Asian countries want is they want to have good relations with China, the U.S., Korea, Japan. And so working together on how we can strengthen the relationships uh, with Southeast Asia, particularly on the economic side, which is critical, uh, and where, frankly, the U.S. lately has been rather weak, uh, how can we help them meet their needs? Also addressing things like climate change, uh, risks of future pandemics, all those sorts of positive things that aren't directed uh, at China. There's a lot that can be done, and, and all of that strengthening of those relationships just strategically makes it easier for the countries of Southeast Asia to maintain their freedom of maneuver, and I think that's in the interest of both the United States and Korea. Right, and do you think perhaps uh, e- economically that's the first perhaps foothold uh, that you would like to see strengthening that Certainly. moves on to others? Economically and, and linked to that, of course, is climate change. Right. Well, it's been fascinating to get both your insights on this issue today. Uh, For both Korea and the US, this region is coming uh, more and more important, of course, and it's been interesting to learn about uh, how those relationships might develop. Uh, 
from uh, what you've been saying. We'll have to leave it there for today, though. We've been speaking to Scott Martial from Bauer Group Asia and the former U.S. ambassador to ASEAN. Thank you for stopping by today. Thank you. And Professor Kim, thank you too. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you as always. Time now for weekly, uh, our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we take a journey across the peninsula to discover more about the country's history, culture and travel highlights. And this week it's our travel and history explorer, Alison Needles from Pinpoint Korea, joining us on the line. Ali, hello. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. OK, a y so today we're doing a little travelling, not too far, just a quick day trip from Seoul, but a place that is uh, sometimes overlooked, and that is the city of Cheongju. It's only about an hour away on the train from Seoul and a couple of hours by car. But Ali, uh, you are very familiar with this place, aren't you? Because uh, you are a local of Cheongju, right? Yeah, that's right. I moved here just about a year ago. Right, and uh, that is why we have uh, connected with you via phone uh, for this segment for that time as well. Uh, So I'm guessing you have gotten to know the city very well and it has become uh, close to your heart, I'm sure. So can you give us an introduction? What can you tell us about the city itself? Yeah, absolutely. So Cheongju is the largest city in North Chungcheong province or Chungcheongbukdo. And it's a very up-and-coming city. I think a lot of people are familiar with the name, but more and more people are starting to actually travel here. It has a lot of recently built, very Instagrammable cafes um, (laughs) with large flower gardens and flora and fauna because the area is quite rural. And they're all situated in the mountains, which which, just makes it even better uh, for social media. And inside of the city, there are a lot of museums, several of which I'll introduce later. And it's also nice because you mentioned it's a day trip from Seoul, so it's very easy to reach um, via Osong Station, which you can reach on the KTX train line. Yes, it sounds like there's uh, plenty to see and do then. But Ali, I know uh, there was one particular place that you wanted to recommend for us today if we were to only have time for one destination Uh, Where is this place that you have chosen for us? So I really recommend taking a visit to Cheongju Sangbang Sansong Fortress. It's kind of popularly just known as the Cheongju Fortress. And it's already very, very popular for locals and those who are living in the province and nearby areas. And that's not only because of the history and the beautiful fortress, but because it has a very, very large lawn right in front of one of the fortress gates that makes it a very popular picnic spot in the warmer months of the year. Mm. And, of course, you can hike along the fortress. It takes about an hour, so it's 4.2 kilometers in total. So nothing too strenuous, and that makes it easy for pretty much anybody of any age who's in good enough health. And what makes it even more wonderful and iconic is that it overlooks the city of Cheongju and the neighboring mountains. So it's just a beautiful, easy way to spend an afternoon. Sure. Perhaps a a bit cold for a picnic at the moment, but I'm sure there's (laughs) plenty to see and enjoy all year round. Can you tell us a bit more about the history of the fortress then? 
Yeah, so it was actually designated a historic site in 1970, which is quite early um, for Korea <laughs> because so much, so many things were destroyed in the war. Sure. And it follows the natural lines of the mountains, and that made it a very great location for protecting the city of Cheongju in the Joseon Dynasty. Mm. And the Joseon Dynasty lasted from 1392 to 1910, but the fortress itself kind of became a fully functioning working fortress in 1596, and that was under the reign of King Sunjo. And at that point, it was made with a lot of different kinds of materials. And if anybody is familiar with Korean history, 1596 was right in the middle of the, the Japanese invasions of Korea. Right. So that also encouraged them to remodel it into a completely stone fortress in 1716. And the fortress luckily has three surviving gates at the east, west, and south points. And it's really in great condition. It remains almost entirely intact from the 18th century. And all of the gates have their towers. So you can go and explore. And they also have the command post as well as two water gates for people who are a little bit more interested in the architectural history. And what makes this even more interesting was that the Dongjangde command post was where soldiers underwent training. And that was actually almost entirely lost to time, but they restored it to its complete original state in 1992. So you can really, really imagine what it looks like in ancient Korea. Right. So it's quite interesting that a lot of the original structures still exist then, because in Korea, so many of these historical sites uh, have been destroyed right. over time because of its uh, tumultuous history. Exactly. Uh, but it sounds like uh, this uh, fortress, a lot of it has survived, which makes it rather special. Yes. I understand that uh, most fortresses in Korea also are large enough that people actually lived and worked inside them, uh, particularly Buddhist monks who typically oversaw the construction and protection of these structures. Uh, does uh, Sangdang Sansang have the same history as well? Yeah, absolutely. And today it still has a lot of functioning businesses and people living inside of the fortress. So if you go off of the kind of stone wall trail and explore in the center, you can see a traditional Hanok or Korean home village and that is a very popular place to buy um, jujube liquor, a kind of ancient liquor from Korea, mm. as well as other local delicacies of North Chuncheong province, such as uh, bindaedok or mung bean pancakes. Mm. It's also very scenic in the warmer months. There are five ponds in the middle of the fortress. Uh, there are three Buddhist temples, of course, uh, as you mentioned. And um, there's also even a functioning public office building. So it's really place to live and a place to experience local culture too um, as well as of course the beautiful views during pretty much the entire year. Indeed sounds great a real historical uh, treat to see how it seems then um, but that's not all that Changju has to offer of course so what more can visitors do uh, while they're in Changju? You mentioned uh, some museums earlier. Yes, yeah, so there are a lot of museums you can check out in Cheongju, but my three favorite ones are the Cheongju National Museum. It has over 40,000 artifacts, uh, mostly all based on Korean history. There's also the Cheongju Early Printing Museum, and this is located on the site of the Hungdoksa Temple, where Jikji, which is the oldest extant book in the world, was printed by movable metal type. So mm. that's a really special place to visit. And you can go to the MMCA, the Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art in Cheongju, that offers the latest and greatest exhibitions on both Korean and international contemporary artists. 
Wow, okay. So from the traditional to the contemporary as well, it seems, all available in Cheongju. Uh, we should also briefly mention how to get to Cheongju and specifically uh, the fortress. You mentioned the uh, KTX Osang station is not far, but there is also an express uh, bus station in the city, right? Yeah, and that might be a lot easier for people who are living already near a bus station or for those who aren't too comfortable traveling by train. Um, so you can go from Cheongju Inner City Express Bus Terminal, take any four buses that get off at the stop called Sajik Sagori. Uh, you can ask the, the people who are working there or you can check the maps right on the bus stop. Mm. And from Sajik Sagori bus stop, you can take uh, bus number 862 and that goes directly to Sangdang Sansung Fortress. As I mentioned earlier, everybody in the area is very familiar with this place. People are very kind here, so just ask for help if you need it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so don't be shy, basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so a couple of buses from Cheongju intercity bus terminal to get to the fortress okay uh we'll leave it there ali thank you for telling us all about Chongju. it sounds like uh, you are living in a very lovely place take care and uh, we'll talk to you next time thank you so much take care Hello, this is Tiger JK of Drunken Tiger. You are now listening to Korea 24. It's time for us to finish up now with a morning edition preview, our daily segment looking at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, our staff editor Richard Larkin joins us in the studio now. Richard, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, good to see you too. Okay, uh, let's start with the first story. What do you have for us? First is an interesting article by Yoon Min Shik that can be found in the Weekender section of the Korea Herald. A medicine expert takes a look to see if Korean home remedies are actually effective. Okay, interesting. So a bit of a debunking, I guess, then by a medical professional, a medical yes. expert. Uh, what is he trying to figure out? What does he believe? Well, Lee Bong-je, who is a professor of internal medicine at Korea University, believes that while remedies could help, They are dangerous in that they have not been verified by professionals. Mm. He also mentions that the most edible remedies are classified as food, so are not approved by health authorities. Right. Uh, I'm guessing many of these remedies, they include different types of teas or herbs, right? Exactly. And there are a few problems when using them as medicine. The article mentions that there have been people who use herbs with toxicity. Mm. This is something that has been discontinued by Western medicine. When it comes to types of tea... It does help people nutritionally, but they are not treatments. It gives people the false impression that they are being treated, but in fact, they are missing the opportune time to treat the diseases. Right, so they're not medicine, they're not replacements, but they can be perhaps used as uh, easing some symptoms, uh, maybe. But other than that, no, you definitely need to go see uh, medical help and get proper medicine. Yes. Uh, are there any surprises on this uh, list, or ones that perhaps are approved? Well, the biggest surprise, which definitely shocked me when I was reading the article, was fecal water. During the Joseon dynasty, yep, during the Joseon dynasty, royal physicians would grind dried up feces into powder, boil it, and then give it to people with fevers or swelling. Apparently, this is a valid medical treatment in modern day medicine as well. Mm. But there are risks like infection, so it should be, should be only done by doctors. So I feel like I should give a do not try this at home warning. My 
God, Richard, I don't think I want to try this at home. I'm surprised it's even a, a home remedy. Uh, although I guess it is interesting that it is uh, scientifically proven to work still. No, I'm guessing I'll be staying away from that in any case anyway. Yeah, yes, I'm sure most people will as well. Okay, let's move on to our next story here for us. According to E. Hayden's article in the Lifestyle section of the Korea Times, the Korean government is planning on introducing two new visas next year. They are the K-Culture Visa and the Workcation Visa. The aim is to attract foreign travellers and help revitalise the local tourism industry that took a hit during the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so walk us through uh, what these visas are and who can apply for them then. Well, let's start with the K-Culture Visa. The article mentions that it will target young foreign nationals who are interested in Korean content and are willing to learn about the country's entertainment industry. The visa will only be given to applicants that will go through a training program in the K-content industry, for example, at a K-pop entertainment uh, agency. The visa will be introduced during the first half of 2023 and aims to utilize the growing popularity of Korean content and give international fans a chance to experience it. Okay, what about the workcation visa? Well, I guess people can already tell from the name, but foreign travelers will be able to stay in Korea for an extended amount of time while working for a company in their home country. The details of the new visa's implementation have not been set yet. Mm. These two visas are part of a five-year plan that aims to create three billion US dollars worth of tourism revenue by 2027. Quite an ambitious plan. Yes, indeed. As you said, there's not a lot of details that we know yet, so that's uh, one to keep an eye out for in the future, I feel. Uh, We'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in the case of a cold snap. Ensure to keep your home warm, especially if you have children, elderly family members or patients living with you. Those who have high blood pressure or weak heart conditions must warm up exposed parts of their bodies, especially their heads. If you experience extreme chills, fatigue, slurred speech, loss of memory or sense of direction, visit a hospital immediately as these are symptoms of hypothermia. If you experience numbness or paleness in your hands, feet, ears, nose or any tip of your body, this could be frostbite. Take a warm shower. If the symptoms persist, go to the hospital. If you plan on exercising, make sure you stretch sufficiently to avoid injuring your joints. If you plan on leaving your house empty for a long time, leave your taps running slightly to prevent the pipes from freezing. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. Let's go.